Welcome to the Athlete CEO Podcast. Each week, we aim to bring you world-class interviews with the brightest, most successful entrepreneurs, innovators, athletes, and business minds today to share insights on how to leverage your wealth for maximum impact in all areas of your life. You won't be hearing any vague theories or strategies from us. Our guests have walked the walk and are committed to sharing the best of what they know so you can apply the lessons that they have learned, sometimes the hard way. Whether you're an athlete, entrepreneur, or just curious what drives the success of these guests, this podcast is for you. Now, let's get to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Athlete CEO Podcast. I am really excited for today's conversation. It's going to be a really fun one for me and, and unique in the fact that I get to pick the brain of a dear friend of mine, someone who I respect on many different levels. Of course, we're going to get into all the business accolades and and uh, those fun uh, conversations. But more importantly, it's uh, it, Kyle Brown is someone that I respect so much as as a father, as a husband, um, as a true friend, um, and just uh, a leader in our local community. And so uh, Kyle Brown is the president and chief investment officer at Trinity Capital. We'll jump a lot more into what they do uh, in the venture debt side. Um, So without further ado, Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, man. I need to get you to give me a recommendation on LinkedIn because that was money. That was perfect. <laughs> hey, hey, you you can hire me. You can put me in front of all of your presentations, you know, and in, in, in front of the investors. I'll uh, I'll start off your guys' quarterly meetings with those intros. Okay, you're hired. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, Kyle, uh, it would be helpful for our listeners. One of the things that um, I had an opportunity to do is obviously sit down uh, with your business partner who happens to be uh, your dad a while back and learn a lot more about what exactly venture debt is. There's there's so much coverage out there from the public eye of, of venture equity. And that gets a lot of the sex in the sizzle, right? With Shark Tank on TV or just these big stories. But there's this whole industry of, of venture debt. And I'd love um, for you to just... Uh, provide a little background for the audience of what is venture debt? What exactly does Trinity do and and what's your role there? Sure, sure. So um, I'll start off with the role. I'm chief investment officer and president of Trinity, really manage uh, the deployment of our capital, uh, the direction of of where we're investing and placing dollars at any given time. So venture debt, I mean, it's it's an industry that's been around for decades. Uh, It's a complement to venture equity. Uh, the idea being that growth stage companies, early to growth stage companies that are venture backed, you know, there's at some point, you know, they on the, in the in the early days they're raising capital to go and and develop a product, and then they're testing out that product. They're really trying to see if this is something the market wants. They're revising the product uh, depending on what the market and how the market responds, and then at some point it either works and, or doesn't work. But if it works, they start to scale. Right. And at that point, typically companies start to run low on cash and it's time to go and and raise some capital. And so, you know, the idea has always been that venture debt would be a way to complement the equity you've raised to come in and really fuel growth. So higher sales, you know, it's for marketing. It's, It's to help you get up to scale and increase your revenue so you can build that valuation heading towards your next fundraise. And so at every stage, whether it's from a, a series A to a B or a B to a C, et cetera, venture debt exists to just complement and come alongside to provide incremental, non-dilutive capital to help founders and companies and, 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 and just investors uh, extend that runway six to 12 additional months because things happen in the early stage, growth stage world. At the end of the day, 
never nothing ever really goes to plan. You can have a plan and and but nothing ever really goes to plan. So to have either an insurance policy or additional capital to really fuel that growth and get further further down the road, uh, that's why we exist. And so where Trinity specializes is it's primarily venture backed companies, uh, and and we we really define that as institutionally run equity, which is hundred to a billion dollar fund sizes. Uh, this is what they do for a living, right? And so the Andreessen Horowitz of the world, the Coastals, the Kleiners, uh, we focus on these types of venture capital firms and their portfolios to come in alongside and provide that extension of runway. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what we do. The industries we focus on, about a third of what we do is enterprise software. And then it's just a mixed bag. I mean, we've got everything, you know, we're, we're in deals at, from Impossible Foods, you know, food technology to vertical farming, you know, uh, speaking of speaking of sports, we did a deal for you know it used to be called uh, Replay Technologies. Now you know of it as Intel 360. You know they go up and you freeze frame and do a 360 shot. We provided equipment for that deal. So really kind of cool, cutting edge stuff. But but at the end of the day, it's got to fit in the box of we're taking execution risk. That management team has created a product, and now it's all about executing on a plan. We're coming in to provide, you know, incremental capital and extension of runway. So that's what we do in, in a little bit about how we do it. Yeah. Th- thank you for the background. Uh, a few follow-up questions, just as we have, for sure, we have some founders listening in. How often do a lot of founders, are they even familiar with with venture debt as an option? And where where do you guys start to to come into play in the life cycle? I know you had mentioned from like round to round, but dilution's a really serious thing, right? I was just I was just on a call, uh, an investor call yesterday. And that was, that was a big part of the conversation was just, you know, understanding dilution. Can, can you hit on, you know, for a lot of these young founders that are maybe this is their first experience into working um, with venture companies, uh, you know, how they should be thinking about debt? Yeah. I mean, so venture debt is not for every company and it's certainly not for very early stage companies. Uh, You really need to have the ability uh, within your plan to identify uh, your ability to repay the debt the ability to turn the corner into profitability and have a plan to actually pay the debt. So this, this isn't for everybody. It's not meant to be the debt that's, you know, venture debt is not, it's not, it doesn't take equity like risk. So you gotta, you gotta know that it going into it. It's not just an easy extra layer that you can add on top of your equity. That's going to act like equity. We can't do that. You know, our business is about, about hitting singles, right? Not home runs. At the end of the day, we're going to make a, you know, 1.3 X multiple on our money and that doesn't allow for significant losses. And so for founders, you know, at the end of the day, you are going to raise equity. There's going to be dilution and you're going to get up to scale. You know, we really look for companies that have that line of sight for 10 million run rate. So again, this is not startups. It's not really early stage. It's, it is truly more growth stage uh, type companies. So um, once you get to that point, you have a product and you have a plan that you can scale and grow and you have line of sight to turn that corner. That's a, that's a, that's a good place. And you have line of sight for that increase in revenue. That's a good place to think about venture debt to help you get there either quicker 
or without diluting yourself further. I'm curious. One of the things that I loved uh, being walked through your guys's process is just how serious you guys take your underwriting, and um, you know, it is it is not lightly. There's obviously tons and tons of companies that can uh, appeal from you know a future huge upside of wanting to to back them because it's a really cool concept. But can you just talk about for you guys the type of companies and and what that due diligence process, you know, looks like of how you guys go from an introduction to how actually, who you actually choose to partner with? Sure. Yeah. So we take a, uh, we take a little bit different uh, approach to underwriting than maybe even some of our competitors. Our core group is actually, you know, our core executive team and, and uh, in due diligence, they're really operators. We, uh, we have actually built companies. Uh, we have raised venture capital. We built technology, have patents to our names. Um, and we're uniquely positioned to understand our borrowers. That's a differentiator for us. We're 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 did this a little bit backwards. You know, we're 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 definitely not uh, we're not bankers. We're uh, operators who went to the dark side to do finance. So uh, that that that's a good that's a good that's a good thing for founders because we're not just focused you know on certain metrics. You know, we really truly we can boil it down to this: Does is this is this product differentiated? Is there a mode around it? from a competitive standpoint. And has this executive team been there and done it? Have they gone through difficult things, right? Is there institutional investor support around the table that can help this company if things don't necessarily go right? And do we believe that this team can execute on the plan that we have in front of us? And so those are the things we boil it down to that. And then does our capital give this company six to 12 months of additional runway? And a total of, you know, typically it's almost two years of runway is what we're looking for in underwriting to help this company achieve certain milestones to build that valuation heading towards another fundraise or uh, a liquidity event. So that's how we boil our underwriting down to those points. And we dig in real deep there to make sure that we can understand whether or not those are true or not. But it's, it's truly, it's less, it's less built on certain, certain metrics uh, and more built on understanding the team and their ability to execute on this plan. Yeah. I'm curious, 2020 has been to say unique is a, an understatement, right? And, it, and it's been very publicized how difficult it's been just in the venture market, uh, given the uncertainty uh, around 2020. I'm curious to hear, have there started to be any key lessons or some takeaways that that is either affirmed your guys's model or things that you guys are thinking about differently uh, going through a, a global pandemic? You know, I think I think we'll uh, I think we'll see some things that we've seen in the past, right? I mean, any kind of recession has similar characteristics and uh, and similar outcomes, right? At the end of the day, you have companies that are struggling right now, companies that are struggling all over the world, and a lot of companies that need capital. And venture capital firms are going to look at this as an opportunity, maybe an opportunity to reset valuations, right? Uh, which were, were, which were, which had been growing and growing over the past decade. And, you know, and, and the truth is the unique part about any, any recession, any uh, market's uncertainty is that there's opportunity, right? And so for us, what that means is as valuations uh, begin to change for companies, obviously founders and owners are looking at that and other investors around the table going, well, how do we limit dilution? Well, we have a product that limits dilution, right? And it helps companies get further down the road to accomplish their goals. And so, you know, I think that in the past, 
the you know market cycles typically mean opportunities for companies like ours and other lenders. Uh, I, I suspect it will be the same uh, in the future and throughout 2020, 2021, we'll see. Um, but at the end of the day, companies are going to be looking for alternative sources of capital uh, outside of you know venture capital that might be a little bit less dilutive and help them maybe get through um, an uncertain time. So you know, I don't I don't know exactly what will come. I do know that anytime there's a recession, and you know, I've, I I lived through the 08 one. Uh, really started my career after the uh, after the 2000 bubble. Uh, it just means opportunity. And so if you're willing to if you're willing to dig in there and, and get creative and be opportunistic, you know, there can be excellent opportunities. I'm certainly taking that same approach here at Trinity. Something that you mentioned that that I'd love to dig into is you had talked about one of the strengths of the firm is that you you're a former operator, right? That you said, hey, I started my career after the 2000s. You lived through uh, the the 2008 global recession as an operator. Can you just talk about um, how that, what that experience was like, and and really now a decade la- later, um, probably how that's bearing fruit in a very positive way, just from experience and expertise to be able to share with other founders. What, what was it like going through 08 as an operator? Sure. Um, so, well, so for me, I was in my, you know, I was in my mid twenties running a mortgage business. So the perfect business to be running during the mortgage crisis, right? <laughs> um, you know, it was horrible. It was the worst thing ever. You know, I lost everything literally and just short of bankruptcy. And if I learned anything during that time and, you know, thankfully I was, uh, ignorant and aggressive and passionate. And those three things just happened to work, you know, in, in combination with being lucky, uh, happened to work out really well. Uh, that's not my go forward strategy, by the way. That's just what happened back then. <laughs> um, but losing everything and uh, having a lot of significance built up in business and making money and to see it disappear that quickly at an early age, you know, shoot, what an amazing lesson. Looking back, it's easier to say that. At the time, it was horrible. Right? <laughs> but but it really, you know, what it, it requires you to do is just adapt. And, you know, if you're willing to adapt, look at the crisis as an opportunity, you have so much, uh, you know, you have so many, so many opportunities. Because the truth is, in, in what happened in 2008 was everything was reset. Relationships were reset. Uh, certain service providers and loyalties that had been in place for some time reset, right? And so suddenly you had the opportunity to build on, you know, back then it was just ashes and there was a level playing field. And so I think what happens leading up to and what we've seen, you know, more recently, it's so much competition. There was so much liquidity. There was so much, you know, so many people doing the same thing. Uh, what happens, what happens unfortunately through this and or fortunately is that there's just a reset button that's hit. And, and, and a crisis like this can really level the playing field and present opportunities for those that are willing to get in and be aggressive and opportunistic, the ability to really build something. And so for me, that's what happened. Got in there in the uh, middle of a horrible mortgage crisis. My mortgage business fell apart. And, but through the mortgage crisis, understood that there were there were homes coming, you know, there were homes coming for sale, right? There was, there was a, there was a, suddenly there was a foreclosure boom and there was really no marketplace for it. And so 
in the in the ashes, kind of sat around going, "How do I buy foreclosures?" You know, and that was the question, and and that was the in 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 fortunately we you know we created a really interesting answer, which was you know create what was basically a multiple listing service for foreclosures, and give ourselves and others the opportunity to search and acquire homes uh, in volume, um, you know, across the country. So that was that was I would say lucky. And, uh, you know, timing was, was great and it worked out very well and it led to, you know, it led to, to other businesses being created around it. Um, but I guess, I guess if anything, you know, as I look through some of the lessons from 08 and to today is that same thing's happened again, that reset button has been pushed. There is suddenly an opportunity to kind of build out of the ashes and go and, and, uh, and build relationships. Maybe you couldn't have otherwise. Uh, form new loyalties that could last another decade. And so I, I look at this as a, I'm very opportunistic. I'm very hopeful, frankly, about what's going on right now. And as it relates to Trinity, our ability to really grow the business and and have success through what is, you know, what feels like a really awful period of time. So just a couple quick thoughts. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. One of the things I've I've always admired and appreciated about uh, about you and the conversations we've had, or you know, maybe that I've overheard, is you've always been very authentic and not shied away from talking about some of the difficulties that you've gone through. I think, uh, as you said, it's it's very sobering uh, when you go through some traumatic things at a as a younger age, and and we've got some shared shared wounds um, that we've gone through some things to understand that. But what I would love uh, to hear you talk about is what was it like to be in a situation in a company where, hey, things didn't go right and you had a business partner and and that was really difficult. Maybe things didn't end up the way that that you thought it would be. I think it's really interesting uh, helping founders think through who they partner with, who's part of their team. And then ultimately, you made a decision to wind down your own business and go work with your dad. And we all know what could potentially be a messiness of a business, but it's also, I think, one of the secret sauces of Trinity when when I was exposed to it is, is the culture you've built is culture is a buzzword that a lot of people talk about that I think there's not a lot of implementation. But uh, I know that that is that's not just a marketing shtick for you guys. Like that's a real thing at Trinity. So I just love if you could spend some time talking about like depth of relationship with with partners that you start businesses with, what it's like to work now with the team during a very difficult time? How are you guys leading? Curious uh, how you'd respond to those. Um, so so part, I'll start with partnering and have certainly learned some difficult lessons uh, with partnering. And, uh, you know, the business that I built uh, uh, with a partner coming, you know, through the real estate crisis of 2008, you know, really built a wonderful business. And, and had and did very well, you know, from 08 to 2011. And you know, I would say, you know, this is this is a trap that a lot of partnerships fall into, which is the idea that you know you are more valuable than your counterpart or your counterparts. And I certainly, you know, as a young man and in that partnership, I fell I fell into that same, you know, I fell into that same that same trick, which was I thought I was worth more than you know, my, my partner and the other people I was working with and, you know, incredibly regrettable. And, but again, a good lesson to learn, but, you know, at the end of the day, one of the lessons I've learned that I've been able to carry into Trinity is that you just aren't, you're, you're only as good as your weakest link and you, 
And if you're not willing to invest and care about people more than you care about yourself, your business is just limited to what you're capable of doing. And you're going to have a small business. And, you know, my aspirations were always to build something. And uh, what I didn't realize was that I was too selfish and cared more about myself than I did anybody else. And it took losing a best friend and a partnership to realize that and, you know, wish, wish I didn't have to have done that and wish I didn't have to go through that. Um, very fortunate to have learned that lesson at a young age. But at the end of the day, you know, and, and this will speak to some of the, the culture at Trinity, you know, the deal that we make with people is that when you come to Trinity, you know, we, we want to identify, we want to meet them on their terms where they're at and identify what their personal goals are and where they want to go and what they want to do, and then give them every opportunity to accomplish that. If every person in your organization feels like they can accomplish their goals and that their, you know, their boss is helping them do it, they're going to thrive. You know, they're going to thrive. And inevitably, if everybody in your organization is thriving, your organization is thriving. So it's not rocket science, but as a young man, it is rocket science. <laughs> uh, it, it just doesn't make sense because you want to be the man and you want to make the money and you want to, you know, you want the recognition. At the end of the day, if that if that's true, that your focus, you're screwed because you're you're baking your 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 all of your worth is built into things that can evaporate in a heartbeat. And I experienced that, you know, and and hurt some people in the process. And so I look at it now and think every person I hire is is crucial to the organization, and the development of that person is just a number one priority. Because again, if you can develop people and give people opportunities to grow and succeed and focus on them, they're going to do all, they're going to do incredible things. And, uh, in the deal that we have with them is if, you know, we'll do that for you as long as you can sign up for this company's objectives and goals and, and, and help us get there. And so we got everybody on, on the ship kind of pointing the same direction and, uh, it creates a wonderful culture of people really feeling loved, cared for, and that they, you know, they're special and that they have the ability to accomplish their own personal goals. So that's how we, that's how we think about and how we address, how we approach culture. You know, we, we like to say it's not how you act on your best day, but how you react on your worst day that defines the relationship. And that's, that is, that is certainly from, you know, many years of, of having gone through difficult things and come out of them. You know, we are, we're, we're only as good as is how we act on our, our worst day. So integrity and character, everybody says that it's really important. We try to show that, you know, we try to show that to our employees. Uh, we also try to show that to our portfolio companies because things like 2020 happen and that things don't go to plan. And so how are you going to react on your worst day? It truly does define the relationship. And, and so anyway, I, I, I as it relates to our, our company during this time, I hope that we can build a decade or more of goodwill, you know, with our uh, different venture capital firms that we work with and our portfolio companies because of the things we do during this time. So that's the goal. We'll see what happens, but uh, that's what we're shooting for. Yeah. Well, th thank you for also just, you know, opening up and sharing about that stuff. I know it's, I know it's not easy. Um, and a lot of times on, on podcasts, right. Or on social media, it's always, we, we put these, you know, facades forward that, that life is perfect and the journey is only upward, um, with little blips, but we know the human story is, is one of kind of trial, uh, trial and triumph. And so uh, I know our, our audience, uh, can connect to that and, and to be real with that. And one of the other things that I know, 
know uh, so much of what we share uh, as an audience is this, this desire to be high performers across all aspects of our lives. It's not just hey, can we make money? And you, and you made it very clear, right? That, hey, that may have been the carrot that I was chasing uh, when I was a young person. I don't know, realize that, that that's not going to provide the identity and the affirmation and the joy that it needs. It's it's a good thing. And being excellent at business is, is awesome. Um, and I think you're uniquely created to do that. I have met very few people uh, that just, I feel like you wake up and you see business opportunity everywhere. Um, so there, there's no doubt that, that you're uniquely gifted in that way. But can you talk about just here you are leading a company, um, obviously in a very uh, important industry, but you're also uh, a husband um, to arguably somebody who is much smarter than you are. Uh, no offense <laughs> to you. Um, no arguments. <laughs> and, and also a father of four. And so can you just talk about that tension that so many of us in this in this world feel of like, trying to be excellent and accomplish great things in business yet being being present at home and being uh, contributing at the same way as a family man how do you think through that yeah well and to be clear I don't wake up and think about business I wake up and have babies screaming in my face so <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's my world there used to be a time where maybe I woke up and thought about only business but that's not certainly not today yeah you know I think it's I think I certainly, you know, as it's a, it's something that's been ingrained in in my in our family culture. You know, going back to, uh, you know, as a kid, a father that's in business who's also incredibly, you know, our family's really focused on sports. I mean, ever since I was born, it was LSU football, LSU basketball, Pete Maravich, Michael Jordan. You know, I I, I don't remember a time where we weren't playing sports, and so competition is ingrained, you know, in our family culture certainly. And, and then winning, right? I mean, it was always, you know, you're always trying to win. And so I grew up in a very competitive household and it's still competitive. I was joking, we're up here hanging out with our family and my sisters are just, I've got two sisters just as competitive as I am. And we went out for a big family kickball game and uh, against some other families. And it ended with, you know, my sister hitting some some little 10 year old in the head with a ball and screaming, you're out, you know, and I'm just sitting there high fiber chest bump and the whole, I mean, the whole, I'm just sitting there going, we are way too competitive. So it's ingrained in, you know, I would say it's natural, but I don't think so. I think it was just drilled into us uh, from a young age. I think it goes back to some of the things we were talking about earlier on just priorities and like where, where you find your worth and your self-worth. You know, I, you know, going through that real estate crash, um, experiencing some difficulties personally, I realized Thankfully, that uh, you know, my significance cannot just—it just can't be baked uh, into business and making money because that stuff just can be gone. I saw it happen; you know, it can be gone quickly. And so, I don't—I didn't—I never didn't want my significance uh, grounded in that. And so, you know, I was—you know—for me, this this became part of my story and just in faith, uh, the idea that there is something uh, bigger than me. Uh, there's a purpose bigger than than you know my selfish ambition, and the idea that ambition is not a bad thing, uh, so long as it's meant for the right things. And so for for me, what I realized was that you know there was a way to to be aggressive. There was a way to be you know think big and want to grow and build, but do it to glorify God. And that was a lesson that uh, you know I learned the hard way. And having aspirations not bad. Wanting to build and be successful is not bad. But but doing it to glorify God, I feel like he gave us these gifts. He is the ultimate creator. 
And so the idea that we would want to go and create things, it seems very natural thinking about it from that standpoint and doing our best. But when things don't go right, not having your significance um, grounded there means it's not the end of the world. And, and so, you know, that, that's, that's how I think about it nowadays, which is actually incredibly freeing. Uh, I wake up and, you know, outside of the baby screaming on my face and, and uh, figuring out family, you know, now I can go and I can say, God gave me this, these gifts and this mind, uh, these relationships, this opportunity. How do I go out and glorify him with it? How do I do my best? How do I, how do I take care of these employees and people to go out and do their best? So it's a little bit of a mind shift there. You know, and that's just me personally, what, what, what has transpired and man, so much more happiness, so much more, just a freeing feeling knowing that I don't have to go out and make tens of millions of dollars to be happy. Uh, that's not it. How do I glorify God with my, my business? Um, how do I glorify God with my family and as a husband, right? Uh, as a father. And so just a different approach to all of those things you asked about which, um, which at the end of the day, I can just kind of look to God to say, hey, how do I do these things? How do I do these things the best? And then, and then when I fall asleep at night, and hit, you know, that my head hits the pillow, I can sit there and go, I really did my best and feel good about it. And just a, a much better approach to how, <laughs> how I did in the 20s, in my 20s, which was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm the man. It's going to happen. And, uh, and then find out that none of those things were true. Yeah. Yeah. Resonates a lot. And what's curious, what you said is the freedom to, to go out and to make decisions and maybe uh, take certain risks when, when you're not wrapped up in that is, is so freeing. I think of the fact that you guys, uh, as Trinity made a big decision to change, to change your business model recently. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what that journey was and, and just what that process is like is to essentially say, Hey, we've done something uh, a certain way in the private, uh, private market for so long. And then to make a huge fundamental shift in, in your business model. Can you shed some light on that? Yeah, we, uh, you know, so my father and I, we, we had been running Trinity as a uh, private company, as a fund manager, really. And uh, we, you know, we both have aspirations of growing and scaling this business. And we believe there's an opportunity to do it. And, and there's a marketplace that's, that, uh, you know, is fragmented. And, and also, you know, you asked earlier about founders and do people know about venture debt? The truth is it's a growing market as well. And so we looked at all of those things and said, hey, let's go and build something incredibly special. Let's build incredible uh, culture and, and a company and let's scale this business across the US, across the world. And, and to do that, you know, it, it meant that we would have to move out of just being a fund manager and, and really move into the capital markets. And so that's what we did. We formed an internally managed business development corporation um, which would allow us to <clears throat> go out and raise institutional capital and tap into the capital markets to grow the business uh, as the opportunity presented itself. And so, you know, what that what that really meant was giving up the reins uh, to an extent uh, from being a private, you know, kind of controlling everything to an independent board and, and you know, giving up the reins in, in a sense. But at the end of the day, we... We don't want to hold Trinity back. We don't want to hold our people back. We have some of the, we have the most amazing team and, and these people can really build something. We can really build something. So we capitalize correctly. 
uh, and formed an entity that really could grow and scale. And so that's where we're at today. And we're, we, you know, we're really off to the races. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. And it's, it's fun to watch the journey. Uh, one thing just even, you know, it's like these subtle little comments that you make, of, we don't want to get in the way we want to, you know, uh, empower our people, empower our company to grow is one of the things I've always admired about you is you've always been really the person who that collects people, that brings them together, whether it's people hanging out in, in, in your front yard uh, over a fire pit. I mean, you're trying to get people to move on your street, let alone, you know, uh, you serve on the board of something called the One Institute, uh, which is just bringing people together that are like-minded. And what I'd love to hear is like, what drives you? A lot of what we talk about internally at our company at AWM is is the word impact. And it's definitely a buzzword and can mean different things to different people. But what I've heard from you loud and clear throughout this, this conversation is this is not about you just accumulating uh, more things, more accolades uh, for for Kyle's name, but for, for bigger things. Can you uh, just share with our audience a little bit of how you think uh, about making an impact and, and what that means for you? Sure. Well, I mean, so, so the gathering of the people and, and uh, you know, the one Institute, and I would say, I'm just, I'm, I'm deeply, I'm deeply flawed. I mean, I think we all are and, uh, and I'm screwed up. And at the end of the day, being vulnerable and transparent about life and bringing people around who are like-minded, who really do want to become, you know, better husbands or wives or, or, uh, you know, fathers, uh, business leaders, all the things we talked about, you know, to do that, you know, we need community. We need people that are like-minded to come around and to be able to have those vulnerable conversations. Cause I would love to tell you that I figured everything out, you know, and uh, I no longer struggle, you know, with uh, greed and power. And I would love to tell you all those things, but that would just be bullshit. At the end of the day, that's just, that's human nature. And so I hope that I can continue to be vulnerable and transparent with other like-minded people so that uh, we can all work towards and encourage each other and, and work towards uh, this idea of glorifying God with uh, our family, with our business, and in our community. So, you know, I, I, I think at the end of the day, if, uh, you know, if I can drive others to move out of the realm of uh, being selfish and lacking transparency into being a little bit more vulnerable and transparent, I think, you know, I think at the end of the day, our community is better off and, uh, and, you know, frankly, businesses are going to be better off. So I, I think that I think about impact like that. Yeah. And it speaks so clearly. It resonates. It gets me excited, but it's also so different than what you can kind of feel a lot of times of what is encouraged as far as what leadership means of you've got to be this big, strong personality. You you've got to set vision and it's kind of like a burn the boats. If you, if you're not on board, you got to get off. And, and I know there's definitely people have to perform in, in X, Y, Z, but you almost, especially in in the financial world, right? You can have this mentality of Wolf of Wall Street. And at times it can feel like what you're talking about can be perceived as soft, but can you share just how that leadership um, mentality has served you and served your dad and, and what advice you would have for, for other leaders? Yeah, I don't, listen, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think being vulnerable, caring about your customer, your borrower, and then protecting shareholders, I don't think those are mutually exclusive, right? Um, I think that if you can, now you need to be prudent, right? I mean, at the end, of, at the end of the day, as we're looking at and making difficult decisions, we are always, always thinking, you know, how do we protect our shareholders here? But, but there's also a bigger picture, 
which is, you know, how do you how do you create an opportunity for your borrowers? And this is I'm just thinking about from Trinity's perspective. You know, how do you help these companies achieve the things they set out to achieve? I mean, at the end of the day, if we can help companies really do that as a lender, you know, that reputation, that's what people will remember. That's what we want people talking about. And I think that if and if we can really do that, it's not only going to help that company, but it's going to help our shareholders as well. And so we are first and foremost focused on that, you know, that combination um, that 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 I feel I feel like that's a more thoughtful approach to it. So, you know, I, I don't. I don't, I certainly don't call it being soft. I, you know, I think we've created a, a reputation in the marketplace of being good people to work with. When we say something, we're going to do it, right? And people can trust us. And, you know, I think in finance, that is, I, I, you're right, like that is unique. And I want it to be unique. We want to be known uh, as a group that's going to come in alongside, be a good partner. And yes, we're going to have to make difficult decisions and we're going to be at odds. We're going to be at odds with with companies sometimes, but we are absolutely going to come in and do and, and, and perform the way we said we were going to and companies and the, and the investors that we work with can trust us. And so it, it, it's a long getting in the ditch, working through things and then coming out the other end and building reputation that way. That's a long term play. Right. And so we are in it for the long haul. And, and that's our approach. And so I think, you know, I think we're starting to get that reputation. I think in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that that, you know, we would, that will be, we'll be known by everybody uh, with that type of reputation. That's, that's the goal. Yeah. What, what a, what a legacy that would be. Right. And that's the type of uh, real legacy. I love just, we talk so much on so many of these interviews or, or internally as a company of, of playing the long game and that if you invest in reputation in high integrity in doing what you're going to say, I mean, it's in the short term, it might feel like, you know, it may cost you some deals here or there, but in the long run, it is, it is the surest way to have success is, is to be of high integrity, trustworthy, people. And so um, really, really appreciate you sharing that. Just as we get kind of closer to the end, one of the things I know that this audience and all of us that are uh, high performing people, we're always looking for resources. We're always looking for, you know, we want practical information. You have obviously had this culmination of life experiences and leadership of your dad and, and great community, it sounds like. But are, but are there some practical things that you turn to on a regular basis? Maybe habits uh, that you try to practice on a daily, weekly basis or uh, books that you read or, or things that you follow. If somebody's saying like, hey, Kyle, what's your go-to resources? How would you answer that? Hmm. Well, I, I mean, first off, it's, you know, it's people, it's, uh, it's mentors. And if you don't have, if you don't have one, you need to get one. Uh, somebody you look up to who you can, you can ask questions and get answers because they've been there and they've done it, right? And so, you know, and, and I would, you know, couple of my mentors were, were, were just people that I, I just bugged to death until they finally started answering some of my questions. And, and I call that being politely persistent. You know, that's a, that's a phrase we've Trinity's we've, we've coined. And, and so being politely persistent to make sure you get in front of the right people to draw the right information out. I mean, I think, I think anybody that has uh, learned something loves to tell it to somebody who's asking and wants to learn. Right. And so there's a lot of people out there willing to do that. So first and foremost, I'd say that. And then from a, you know, books, I, I am a, I, well, until, until recently and babies dominated my life, you know, I, I was an avid reader. I, you know, I still am, but uh, knowledge, the knowledge about what has happened 
uh, is really important to me. I love history. I love studying history. And, you know, I didn't, uh, it, it, that's, that's been kind of self-taught over time, but, uh, at the end of the day, you know, history repeats itself. And so having some base knowledge and understanding of what's happened in the past can really lead and help, I think, um, making decisions going forward because, you know, we're just, we're fickle, we're human and we repeat things. And so I love history. I love studying history and, uh, and understanding what others have done. And so, no, I don't, I don't know that I could give you, I could draw maybe a specific kind of like, you know, the business book Bible, but, uh, you know, I, I certainly am constantly trying to make sure I have a knowledge and understanding of, of the marketplace and what's going on and what has happened in the past. Uh, that's something I'm, I'm, I'm always working on. Yeah. There was a, a really wise guy who said, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. Um, and of course, uh, everything's new and changes, but the, the fundamentals are there. And I think that being a student of history, uh, a student of, of mathematics, of, of understanding a lot of the, the fun, fundamental um, things were, or, are just so important. I, I forget who uh, I was reading lately, uh, lately, but it had talked about almost in this information uh, overload day is, is the problem is, is we're now treating information as entertainment. So you take masterclass, which has become all the rage in the last, you know, six months to a year is it's become monetized from a business model of like education is entertainment, not really sitting on something and soaking it in and wrestling with it and, and allowing it to form you and challenge you. And so I think there's something about going back to the, to the ancient roots, right? Of going, what is the foundational material in whatever specific industry that cannot be overstressed? And it's kind of like, if you can pick up uh, those iconic books that were the foundational in the industry and understand those, you're going to be able to have a very good lens going forward. So I, you know, while you don't point to a specific book, I think that the, the point couldn't be more important. And so it, it makes a lot of sense. As we wrap up here, you know, the last question I would ask, uh, ask you is something that is important to us at AWM. When, when we define wealth, we try to expand what that definition is, that it's nothing less than financial, but it's, it's social, it's wealth, it's relational, it's spiritual, right? It's, it's this holistic mentality. A question that I would just love Love to hear you rift on, and it's a very difficult one. Um, so I don't expect a perfect answer. But how would you define success? Oh, yeah, that is a pretty vague question, there, Eric. Let me think about it. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when you come home from whatever it is you're doing, for me, success and and you know, truly, this this COVID disaster has been reaffirming to this, which is, you know, you come, I, I, when I come home, I have children that, that love me and are healthy and happy and a wife that uh, is so supportive and awesome and, uh, and loving and doesn't care if I, you know, close the deal or not. You know, I, I don't know what could possibly be more important than that. And um, in, in success, if, you know, if you want to, if you want to make it more kind of broadly, how do you define success, you know, in business? It's got to be, it has to be, you know, how well did you help others become successful, right? I mean, you, any individual success at the end of the day, unless you're a, you know, I don't even think if you're an athlete, you know, a single sport athlete, I mean, you have trainers, you have coaches, you have, there's so many, you know, nobody does anything on their own. So at the end of the day, how are you investing in other people and how successful are they? Because I think 
that's going to be a reflection of your success. So, you know, I have certainly moved into a period of, of time in my life where, you know, if I can look at my, my sales team and I can see that they hit their marks, that they, you know, close the amount of loans they were supposed to, and that, you know, we're able to pay them and they're able to go home and, and build, you know, build wealth and provide for their families. I mean, gosh, what, like, what's better than that? Right. And at the end of the day, you know, you know, going back to success and wealth personally, you know, I am in finance. And if, if I can do a good job of protecting my shareholders, and if I can do a good job of, of, you know, being a great partner for our borrowers and building trust with them. And then, you know, I can help our employees accomplish their personal goals. How am I not going to be successful personally? Right. And so it's, I think it's the last thing you have to think about, but if you do all of those other things, it's going to happen. And so that's my mindset, you know, let's talk in 10 years and I'll tell you if it worked or not, but uh, <laughs> that's what, that's what we're shooting for, you know, as executives at Trinity and, and how I think about life right now. So, man, that was, that was absolute gold and uh, very challenging, convicting, inspiring uh, all, all in the same breath. And so Kyle, thank you uh, so much for, uh, for your time. I know that uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I know our audience will, will love it. I'll make sure uh, audience from a show notes standpoint uh, that I link to, to Trinity and, and any way to get in touch with, uh, with Kyle and his company. And so Kyle, thank you so much uh, for, for spending some time with us today. You bet. Thanks for having me. And for the audience, thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. And until next time, always stay humble, stay hungry, and be a pro. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athlete CEO Podcast, a production of AWM Capital. Please note that investments and strategies mentioned on this podcast may not be suitable for you. We encourage you to discuss your specific situation with a qualified, certified financial planner. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion at AWM Capital or its affiliates. For more information, visit awmcap.com.